3: It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Good evening, listener. You're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's edition, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with two audio adaptations of frightening fiction about wretched roads and demented dispositions. I'm your host, Steve Taylor, and tonight I'll be your guide as we traverse the dimly-lit corridors of your darkest dreams. Joining us tonight to help bring to life the frightening fiction of Charles Jonathan Truax and Carolyn M. O'Brien are voice talents Jason Hill, Drew Blood, Paul J. McSorley, Melissa Medina, and Heather Thomas. Now... Get your ticket ready, take your seat in our theater of the minds, and brace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Our first story tonight is written by Charles Jonathan Truax and is performed by Jason Hill, Drew Blood, Paul J. McSorley, and Heather Ordover. In it, we will meet Dak and Chadwick, a pair of friends who find themselves stranded on Light Road after Chadwick's truck breaks down. They seek refuge with Martha and Wilbur at their home on Light Road. The two boys are left with a feeling of unease after spending a short time inside. Martha and Wilbur attempt to trap the boys. They finally break free After a brief physical encounter, without further ado, I present to you, Wrong Turn on Light Road. Dak and Chadwick
4: each lit up a smoke and cracked their windows, the excitement of a good day fishing warming their spirits despite the cold wind that suddenly filled the cab of Chadwick's truck. Sporadic raindrops began to fall as they left the river pooled in the road and splashed off the deeply grooved tires of the smoky old diesel truck, creating a cascading wave of dirty water sloshing on both sides of the truck.
5: I cannot believe that Big Bass's energy today!
4: Dak cried out, elated at the day's catch. Easy for you to say, all I got was that damn throwback. Chadwick rolled his eyes as the words left his mouth. Headlights passed by as they reveled in their elevated mood. Dak reached over to the center of the console and spun the volume knob on the radio.
5: I need to take a nature break, if you know what I mean. Dak informed
4: Chadwick as he was exiting the interstate onto the maze of back roads that connected the interstate to his home. Sure thing, let me find a good spot, he answered, not bothered at all by taking a short break from the two hour long drive. Chadwick slowed as he looked around for a safe, secluded place to use as nature's urinal as a street sign entered their field of vision. Chadwick slowed, squinting to read the sign. Light Road. It's dark. Eh, maybe it's an ironic street name. Chadwick chuckled as he turned his truck onto Light Road.
5: That's perfect. Look at that dead-end turnaround up there, Dak said his words beginning to
4: carry an air of urgency. Chadwick slowed as he neared the dead end and turned his truck back around towards the direction they had come from. There you go. There won't be anything on my seats today, Chadwick chided, shutting his engine down to not disturb the neighbors with his loud exhaust. Chadwick climbed down out of his cab and proceeded to take care of business as Dak did the same. A loud rustling was heard in the woods on the passenger side of the cab. You good over there? Thought I heard something, Chadwick asked Dak, his anxiety beginning to creep up on him like a predator silently hunting prey.
5: Uh, yeah, I heard something too.
4: Sounds big, Dak replied, his voice shaking just enough for Chadwick to notice the change. Let's hurry up and get going. It's probably a fox or something, but... Better to not find out, you know, just in case, Chadwick suggested, his feet now flat on the floor in his cab. The rustling was growing louder as Dak hurried into the opposite side of Chadwick's truck. Chadwick turned the key to the on position, the dashlights illuminating the cab in a soft glow. He turned it farther to the start position and was shocked to find that the starter wouldn't crank.
5: I thought you fixed it,
4: Dak exclaimed worriedly. No, damn it. Money's tight, man, Chadwick replied, a look of embarrassment covering his face. No biggie. We'll just call someone to pick us up and we'll deal with it tomorrow. Sound good? Dak asked, his tone softening. Chadwick glanced at his phone, the blank screen revealing that his battery was dead. My battery's dead. I don't have a charger in here. How are you looking? Chadwick asked, his embarrassment
5: growing. Dak looked at his phone. Oh my god, no signal. What kind of backwoods place did you bring me to? Dak asked,
4: annoyance entering his tone again. Didn't you find this road? Chadwick asked, deflecting the blame to his younger friend. What do we do? Dak asked, residual fear resonating in his voice. The old guys say that if you tap the starter with something heavy, like a hammer, then it might kick over, Chadwick suggested, climbing out of his cab to root around in his toolbox. Dak waited inside the cab and stared out the window aimlessly. After a few moments, he turned to look at Chadwick to see if he had found something useful. Fear overtook his senses as he looked around for his friend. What the hell? Dack thought as he jumped out of the truck, frantically trying to locate his friend. Dack reached the truck's tail end, finding Chadwick bent down, tying his shoe out of view of the cab. "'Damn it, Chadwick!' Dack exclaimed angrily.
5: "'What?'
4: Chadwick asked, clearly confused by Dak's reaction.
5: "'Never mind. Did you find anything?'
4: Dack asked, intentionally changing the topic quickly. "'Nope. Nothing that I think will work.' I had my tools out last weekend. I I guess I forgot to put them back in. The toolbox is basically empty. Chadwick shrugged as he walked back to the cab. The sound of the truck doors slamming shut seemed like the equivalent of a coffin being sealed shut for the two young men. Their perception of the silence and the cold inflated to extremes as they sat in their respective seats, watching their breath fog the windows. Chadwick passed the time looking at the details of the two houses to their left. Up until just a moment ago, both houses had been completely dark. The second house on the left now emitted light in two separate downstairs windows. Chadwick rolled down his window and lit up a smoke. You think the people at either two of these houses would help us out? Maybe use their phone or something? Chadwick suggested,
5: grasping for some sort of solution. I don't know, man. It's late, and what if these yokels are crazy or something? Dak asked. I'm
4: sure they're normal, nice people. Besides, it's only 8 p.m., Chadwick said, staring at the house with the light on. The second house on the left now had the porch light on, and lights inside the house. Well, look at that, Chadwick exclaimed as a man and woman walked towards his trunk. I got a bad feeling, Dak muttered as Chadwick climbed out of the trunk to greet the people as they approached. You boys in some sort of trouble? The man asked. The man stood about six feet tall. His black hair was cut short, revealing weathered facial features that only old age could bestow upon a man. His wife stood at a slight five foot two, creating a vast height difference between them Her hair was gray and long, and her skin bore resemblance to the consistency of a long-past-ripe avocado. Her long, painted nails stuck out from her fingers like crude daggers.
5: This feels wrong. Look at these guys, man, Dak muttered under his
4: breath. "Uh, Yes, sir, we are. I believe my starter's dead in the water and our cell phone seem to be giving us a hard time. Chadwick explained as Dak continued muttering under his breath about his disapproval of their situation.
6: How can we help?
4: The woman asked in a raspy voice. A phone would be awesome, Chadwick suggested as the raindrops descended more rapidly on the concrete. Come on in
5: boys, let's get you out of the rain and we'll figure it out.
4: The old man offered, waving his hand in the direction of his two-story home across the street.
5: No, Chadwick, no way,
4: Dak said, as Chadwick started to walk towards the old couple's home. Come on, Dak! Are you really gonna spend the time out here by yourself? Chadwick asked sarcastically. Damn it, Dak thought, as he climbed out of the trunk and joined his friend as he walked into the house. The two young men entered through the front door into a small mudroom. The first thing that they noticed inside the home was a wall-mounted topographical map of the state of Idaho. What the fuck? Chadwick thought as his gaze settled on the map. You guys like potatoes? Chadwick asked, stifling a laugh. The old couple looked at him questioningly. Never mind, my bad. Chadwick said, backpedaling his words.
6: My name is Martha. This is my husband, Wilbur,
4: the older woman said, pointing at herself and then her husband. I'm Chadwick, and this is Dak, Chadwick said politely.
5: Welcome to our
4: home, boys, Wilbur said as he let them into the kitchen. The kitchen walls were adorned with some of the strangest wall art either of the two of them had ever seen the most prominent being a large painting of an apple sawing a pear in half. The second most notable was a 4x4 canvas of two spider monkeys, playing tug-of-war with an unknown bird species. The image that stuck out the most in Chadwick's mind was a small painting of a young child, building a small toy structure using severed fingers in place of toy
5: blocks. Chadwick shuddered. Ah, I see the cold is seeping into your bones. Come, warm yourself by the fireplace,
4: Wilbur suggested. No, I'm not cold. It's your creepy paintings, Chadwick thought as he followed Wilbur into another room. How about that phone? Chadwick asked Wilbur as the old man sat down in a chair. Oh
5: dear, I thought I mentioned that already. I'm afraid our phone lines have gone down with this strange intermittent storm we've had today. Wilbur explained as
4: Chadwick felt a ball begin to tighten in his stomach. Chadwick looked around and began to wonder where Dak was. Do you know where my buddy Dak is? Chadwick asked Wilbur as he watched him rock
5: in his chair. "'Oh, I think Martha sat him down while she cooks up some food for you boys,' Wilbur answered, rocking faster.
4: Chadwick glanced at the man just in time to see a shadow race across the room from left to right. "'What was that?' Chadwick asked, pointing towards the area that he saw in the movement seconds ago. "'Not sure what you mean,' Wilbur asked, appearing slightly confused." ''Is there anyone here besides you and Martha?'' Chadwick inquired anxiously. ''No, just us two. Why do you ask?'' Wilbur questioned. ''Um, never mind. I... (laughs) I thought I saw something. I must just be tired,'' Chadwick explained. A loud bang rang out from the kitchen. Chadwick left the room he was currently in and retraced his steps back to the kitchen...
6: Blasted cat!'
4: Martha yelled as Chadwick entered the kitchen. Chadwick watched as a black-and-white cat scurried out of the room, stopping to look back at the pile of pots and pans it had knocked over before disappearing into the shadows of the hallway. Martha busied herself with quickly picking up the mess that had overtaken her kitchen floor. "'Martha, the damn rain is turning to snow!' Wilbur yelled from his rocking chair. Chadwick crossed the kitchen to look out of the lone window. The rain had indeed turned into the start of a ferocious winter storm. He sighed. Chadwick squinted as he looked through the snowy haze towards the other side of the road. A lantern, held by a shadowy figure, could be seen bobbing through the woods at a slow pace. Chadwick shook his head and turned around. Martha stood behind him, staring through the window. She hurriedly shut the curtains as Chadwick walked away from the window.
6: Best not to invade the goings-on of the night,
4: she said, hastily leaving the kitchen. Chadwick watched her as she left the room. Dak jumped up from his chair as they heard a knock on the door.
6: Boys, let that be. We're not expecting any company,
4: Martha called from the living room. Chadwick walked down the hallway to the living room, stopping as a small boy ran by him, giggling like a hyena. What is wrong with these people? Chadwick thought angrily. Why lie about having someone else here? Chadwick entered the living room and approached Wilbur's rocking chair. I just saw your grandson. I
5: thought no one else was here with you two, Chadwick asked accusingly. We don't have any grandchildren. We never even had children of our own, Wilbur answered. Chadwick flinched as another knock on the door echoed
4: through the house. Somebody wants you to answer the door, Chadwick said, his frustration rapidly growing.
6: It's best not to invade the goings-on of the night,
4: Martha said thoughtfully. Yeah, you said that a few minutes ago. What is going on around here? Chadwick asked. Another knock echoed through the house. Chadwick! Dak shrieked from the kitchen. Chadwick ran to the kitchen to find Dak staring out through the front window. What is it? Chadwick asked impatiently.
5: There's no one at the door.
4: Dak mumbled, still staring through the window. What the hell are you talking about? Chadwick asked, his fear beginning to grow. Chadwick didn't wait for Dak's answer, opting instead to swing the front door open angrily. Opening the door revealed a glowing white orb, precisely level with Chadwick's line of vision. Chadwick slammed the door and ran back into the kitchen to find Martha and Wilbur standing next to Dak. Is this some kind of joke? Chadwick asked
5: angrily. I wish it was, son. Come, sit down in the living room. You need to know about the Light Road curse, Wilbur said,
4: motioning for the boys to return to the living room. Chadwick and Dak reluctantly followed Wilbur back. They watched as Wilbur and
5: Martha took a seat and waited for Wilbur to speak. Many years ago, my wife Martha used our home for taking care of hospice patients as they endured their last weeks. "'We even built an addition to accommodate the influx of patients,' Wilbur informed them, his eyes fixed on the fire dancing in the fireplace. "'Business was good, and the extra money sure did help around here. Our home was in dire need of repair, and the money we made from her business gave us all the funds we needed and more,' Wilbur continued.
4: "'What does this have to do with the fucking light banging on your door?' Chadwick asked angrily.
6: Hush, boy. Let him finish.
4: Martha snapped,
5: pressing a wrinkled finger to her lips. One night, we received a patient from the nursing home unannounced. We didn't overthink it, as we readily accepted every patient. I signed the paperwork, and Martha brought her into her room. Wilbur paused for a moment to light a cigar. This new patient, her name was Livia. Well, Livia had an intrepid past of causing immense chaos wherever she passed through, Unbeknownst to us, we awoke in the morning to find all six of our hospice patients dead in their rooms. Livia was gone, nowhere to be found, Wilbur said, puffing
4: intermittently
5: on his cigar. But what happened to Livia? Dak asked, his eyes wide. We eventually found Livia in the woods across the street. Her naked body was covered in strange symbols that she had presumably carved into her skin herself. What does all this have to do with the things happening in your home? Chadwick asked, his want to know more, overpowering his fear for the time being. After a lengthy investigation, the police concluded that she had many more deaths to her name than just the ones she took here. Men, women, and children. They concluded that she was insane. That was the easy answer. However, that is not the truth. The truth is, something drove her. Something lived within that woman. Now that thing resides on this road. It seeks out pure souls on most nights, hiding in shadows until it grows tired of waiting. Then it grows angry. Wilbur concluded the story and looked at
4: Chadwick and Dak. Oh my god. Dak declared, his voice wavering. We need to get out of here. I
5: don't want any part of this. Chadwick declared frantically. I'm afraid you mustn't go outside until the morning. You'll surely fall victim to it. You'll have to wait it out here, in our home. Wilbur declared, shifting his gaze from the fire
4: to Chadwick. God damn it! Chadwick exclaimed angrily.
6: It won't be so bad, child. You and your friend are safe in here.
4: Martha offered, her voice softening.
6: Come, I'll show you boys to a room
4: rising to her feet. The boys reluctantly followed Martha down a hallway into a large bedroom.
6: Here we are,
4: Martha said, pointing towards a pair of beds opposite of each other at the far end of the room. Everything about this is fucking weird, Chadwick thought, accepting a pillow and blankets from Martha. Martha slammed the door shut on her way out of the bedroom. Chadwick and Dak shuddered as the sound of the deadbolt clicked loudly from the other side of the door. Fuck! Dak exclaimed, looking frantically around the room. Chadwick looked around the room as well, noticing that it had no windows and no other items inside besides the two beds. Son of a bitch! We fell for that one, Chadwick thought. His inability to recognize the situation unfolding frustrating him immensely.
5: There must be some way out of here,
4: Dack declared, quickly coming to the same realization that Chadwick had.
6: (laughs) Silly boys, there's no way out from here. Your souls will soon be anchored to this place, long after your bodies have rotted and decayed.
4: (laughs) Martha cackled through the locked door, The two boys froze as a bang sounded from the wall next to them.
6: It won't be long. Livia's already here.
4: Martha screeched, her voice like nails across a chalkboard. Another bang resonated throughout the room, shaking the walls. Dak, this isn't the end for us, bro. We are getting out of here! Chadwick shouted, slamming his shoulder into the bedroom door. Dack joined Chadwick at the door and kicked at the door with all his might. The door began to creak and groan under the continued stress of the two boys repeatedly striking the wooden door. ''Stand back, Dack!'' Chadwick yelled before getting a running start and slamming into the door. The door relented, flying open into the hallway, splinters flying in all directions.
5: ''Way to go, Chadwick!''
4: "'Dak shouted, chasing after Chadwick as he fled down the hallway. "'Chadwick suddenly began furiously backpedaling "'after seeing Martha coming towards him with a large butcher knife. "'Dak pushed past Chadwick, screaming, "'as he fearlessly tackled Martha to the ground. "'Chadwick, seeing the sudden, bold action of his friend, "'pounced on Martha immediately.' Martha shrieked as Chadwick wrestled the knife from her grasp. Don't kill her. I
5: don't want to kill anyone.
4: Dax screamed, tears filling his eyes. We are fucking leaving! Chadwick exclaimed, holding the knife in front of his body. Martha didn't say a word. She just glared at the boys, her eyes projecting hatred in an immeasurable amount. Wilbur stood at the far end of the hallway, watching the scene before him silently. Neck and Chadwick bolted through the front door and turned down the road, continuing in a full sprint until they found the end of Light Road. The two boys paused after stepping onto Main Street. They looked back in silence. Their gaze finally settled on the street light flickering on and off near the entrance of Light
1: Road. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. Which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A N G I.com.
3: I hope you enjoyed Wrong Turn on Light Road, as written by Charles Jonathan Truax and voiced by Jason Hill. Drew Blood, Paul G. McSorley, and Melissa Medina. Wrong Turn on Light Road has been picked up for film adaptation. Look out for The Hollow, coming to screens near you, premiering January 1st, 2022 on Amazon Prime, iTunes, and Google Play. If you dig Charles Jonathan Truax's work, simply search for him on Amazon where you'll find as many books for print, including his fantastic novels, and you'll be redirected to his author page on Amazon, where by clicking through via that link, a small portion of your purchase goes to us here at Chilling Tales, where we're proud Amazon affiliates to help make this show possible. You can hear more of Jason Hill on the Horror Hill podcast, now in its fifth season, with new episodes released weekly. Check it out, and don't forget to subscribe so you never miss your regular dose of the dreadful. You won't be sorry that you did. Voice actor Paul J. McSorley's talents can be found on our very own Chilling Tales for Dark Knight YouTube channel, as well as on past episodes of the Simply Scary podcast. You can also keep up with him weekly on his new show, Fear from the Hotland, which will debut in podcast format in early 2022. Meanwhile, capture the magic or the madness (laughs) from the very beginning and check out his show on our YouTube channel today. You'll be glad that you did. And after dropping by, don't forget to let him know you heard him here on this show. Now, our second tale of the evening is written by Carolyn M. O'Brien and performed by Melissa Medina and Heather Thomas. In it we will meet a girl directed to a mysterious shop. While there, she is convinced to give up her fears, but she soon realizes that her fear is just the beginning of her losses. Now, without further ado, I present to you, Bottled Up.
6: What if you were able to purge that unwanted emotion? Agatha read the advertisement's title on the homemade sign while she sat idle on her scooter. Another personal growth seminar, she thought to herself. The line before her seemed to be stalled. She rolled her eyes and continued to read. Annoyed? Feel like lashing out? Visit us at Bottled Up before the shit hits the fan. An address was under a picture of an angry, scarlet emoji, and Agatha noted it was only a few blocks away. She did not remember a business in that area, but she thought she'd give it a look. As she got closer to the food truck, the man waiting behind Agatha kindheartedly offered to help, so after making her choice, she drove her scooter to the nearest tree and parked. He handed her the paper boat of french fries. After a few mouthfuls, she regretted ordering ketchup because she only had one flimsy napkin. She stuffed the rest of the fries into her mouth and tossed the used napkin and the empty paper boat into the basket attached to her scooter. She drove with sticky hands to the water fountain nearby to rinse her fingers, then turned right, destined for Willow Street. At the end of the block, she turned left into an alleyway and paused near a trash bin to toss in the litter from her snack. At the top of the back street, she turned once again and drove two more blocks. Across the street, a cute little cob house cowered like a mushroom behind the intimidating edifice next to it. Thankfully, the structure was at street level, so Agatha could drive her scooter near to the window and peek inside. She took a few steps back to read the sign over the entranceway. It looked like a convenience store with aisles of shelves fully stocked with bottles and jars. Burned into a piece of driftwood where the words, bottled up, in fancy calligraphy writing. She entered and observed that the tiny shop had only three aisles. As she browsed, she noticed that most of the containers on the shelves contained smoke that swirled like trapped tornadoes. In the first aisle, jars of olive green smoke assembled on a shelf labeled Jealousy. Across from them were bottles containing Auburn smoke. The label below them read Anger. Next to Anger was Fear. Those vessels swam with a brownish smoke. Across from fear was guilt. Gray and purple hues swirled together like the night sky. The next aisle was lined on both sides with empty, clear plastic and glass jars, bottles, flasks, and sealed carafes. Aisle three displayed bottles ladled glee, love, brave, and excitement. A woman approached Agatha from behind, startling her. "'I'm sorry, dear,' said the woman. "'Are you ill? I can help you deal with your feelings, but this pharmacy does not sell medicine for the, uh, physical body.' "Oh uh, no,' said Agatha. "'I'm fine. I mean, I use a scooter because I can't walk on my own, but that's not why I'm here. I saw a poster.' "'And you're curious?' The woman finished Agatha's sentence. She confirmed that the bottles did indeed contain feelings. Bottled up was a place where anyone could buy feelings, trade feelings, or even leave unwanted feelings behind. Trap your unwanted feelings into a bottle and or inhale the feeling you would like to experience. Agatha smiled awkwardly. Her first thought was, why would anyone want anything from Isle one? Then she considered if this woman was some kind of witch, and her face flooded with heat as her ears throbbed because being there made her uncomfortable. However, her inquisitiveness surpassed any fears or inner voices that told her to leave. The woman persuaded her to participate in a trial. Following the woman's instructions, Agatha chose a bottle from Isle 2. It resembled the vials used for potions in old flicks. As if the woman could read her thoughts, or maybe it was her red face that told her she was nervous, she instructed Agatha to close her eyes and think of her fears. Think about what makes you afraid, she said. Keep your eyes closed, take a deep breath, and release those feelings into the bottle. When Agatha opened her eyes, she was overwhelmed with the feeling of being completely safe, Two hours had passed. During that time, the woman informed Agatha that her shop would be moving to another location by nightfall. The news made Agatha angry. She wasn't sure why. After all, she had discovered this place just a few hours ago, and yet, it was one of the only places she felt totally secure. Before Agatha left, the woman carefully wrapped the bottle holding Agatha's fear in a newspaper and gently placed it in Agatha's basket. Agatha steered her scooter out the door and crossed the street and paused on the corner. She grabbed her bottled fear, unwrapped it, and unscrewed the lid. The dirty brown mist dispersed throughout the air. Eventually, she closed her eyes and thought about her anger and frustrations. Her eyes still closed, she inhaled deeply and lifted the bottle to her mouth, as if she were taking a drink of non-existent liquid and exhaled through her puckered lips. She quickly screwed the cap back on the bottle and trapped her tainted, rusty feelings inside. She wrapped the bottle back up in the newspaper and returned it to the basket. Then she turned around with the intention of trading it for some glee. The building was gone. She thought whatever was going on was unnatural, but she wasn't afraid. She wondered if she should be feeling afraid. Agatha pulled into the garage. She wound masking tape around the sealed bottle and rewound it until all color from the cloudy substance inside was obscured. She looked around for a safe place to stash it. She cautiously trundled to the unused refrigerator, stretching to place it on top behind the flower pots. Then, She called for assistance to transfer into her wheelchair in the house. She pumped her arms and rolled down the hall to her bedroom. She shut the door but still could hear Bethany's piercing voice. She was pleading with her mother to allow Tabitha and her friend to concoct some homemade bubbles. The girls found the recipe on the internet. They were in the kitchen and Agatha supposed her mother gave in when the arguing subsided.
2: Bethany went to the garage to find a suitable bubble bottle. She reasoned that the recycling bin was a good place to find a variety of sizes, but she spotted the jar peeking out between the terracotta pots first. Dragging the step stool across the concrete floor and climbing a couple of rungs, she was able to reach the top of the fridge. The jar was light in her grasp, and when she shook it, she decided it was empty, Bethany twisted the lid off the jar in the kitchen and poured the thick, soapy brew into it before any gases could escape. She took the wand from an empty bubble bottle and blew bubbles. A stream of bubbles dispersed throughout the cluttered room. She handed the wand and the bottle back to Tabitha, and the girls scampered outside. Bubbles filled the air, and soon the family Doberman, Pinto, trotted over. He began nipping at the bubbles. He focused on a bubble filled with a swirling auburn vapor. It drifted upward, and he jumped hungrily toward it. His muscular back legs stretched as he leaped. Chomp! He snapped his jaws shut, and it was gone. Immediately, his demeanor changed. He leaped forward, and his powerful jaws clamped onto Bethany's arm. He pulled her down with him, and they both rolled on the blacktop driveway. She wailed, and Tabitha screamed, turning to run. The dog let go of Bethany's arm and tackled Tabitha from behind. His teeth sunk into the taut flesh on her neck. Neighbors dashed out of their houses carrying brooms and baseball bats. They began to hit the dog, but their efforts seemed futile. Then a pitiful yelp rang out, and the dog turned and ran toward the trees. The neighbors lingered after the chaos subsided. Agatha felt confused and troubled while listening to everyone discuss what to do next. Then her eyes drifted to the open bottle on the lawn. My fault. My fault. My fault. My fault. Her whispers became inaudible as her words trailed off. Agatha's eyes widened, and she stared at nothing, while her head swam with notions to fix things. The association remained preoccupied with their discussion. So Agatha snatched the bottle from the lawn, threw it in the basket, and rode to the park down the street where she
6: could be alone. Agatha lay in bed. She wondered how much she slept last night. She flung back the covers and transferred into her wheelchair before going about her morning routine. She ate breakfast with her family, but did not join the conversation. She was normally a morning person and she blamed her feelings of melancholy on her lost dog. Once Bethany was on the school bus, she asked for assistance to transfer from her wheelchair to her scooter in the garage. She drove to the end of the driveway and paused, then turned toward the forest of evergreen trees.
2: While Bethany was in school, Pinto and Agatha spent many hours in the ramshackle hut, among the pine trees. She tapped on her laptop, and he kept her company, or played teasingly with the local critters. She often fed him there, and water bowls were positioned at the four outer corners of the shanty. Rainwater often kept them filled. He was sure to have gone
6: there. Agatha reached the edge of the forest and started to feel hopeful. She spied the bandana Pinto was wearing after his previous grooming. It looked like it tore after catching on a prickly bush. She continued further on, slowing as she approached the shack. Several feet ahead stood Pinto. She switched off the key in her scooter and sat stock still, but she had no fear. They stared at one another. Only brown, brittle pine needles and a stray pine cone here and there littered the ground between them. Agatha slowly took the bottle of her glee from the basket and the piece of bacon she pocketed at breakfast from the pouch in her hoodie. Her hand touched the lid of the bottle, and she hesitated. She suddenly realized that she had lost her fear, given away her anger, and now she was offering up her glee. Nevertheless, Agatha quickly loosened the lid on the bottle and wrapped it with a strip of bacon. She bowled the meaty gift of churning mist toward the dog. He sniffed the object, and the vapors wafted into his nostrils as the lid toppled on the ground.
3: I hope you enjoyed Bottled Up. As written by Carolyn M. O'Brien and voiced by Melissa Medina and Heather Thomas. As a reminder, voice actor Melissa Medina's work can be found on the official Chilling Tales for Dark Knights YouTube channel, as well as her website, hearmelissa.com. That's H E A R M E L I S S A.com. If you enjoyed Heather's performance, you can hear more of her right here on our official YouTube channel as well as on the amazing Creepy Podcast where several of her vocal performances are available for your enjoyment. If you check her out, be sure to give her performances a thumbs up and leave a kind word and tell her you heard her here on this program and that Steve sent you. It would mean a lot to me. Now, our weekly descent into the depths has just about come to a close. But before we go, I'd like to take a moment to thank you for joining us for tonight and remind you to take a few moments to stop by our iTunes page and leave Chilling Tales for Dark Nights a five-star review and a kind word. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if you haven't already. And of course, subscribe to us on YouTube where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012 And consider signing up as a patron at our website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. I'm your host, Steve Taylor, and it's been a pleasure. Tune in again next week, when we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams.
5: Chilling tales for dark nights.